want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I want to discuss the investing marketplace and how the coronavirus is impacting stock portfolios. Before I get started, I want to make a short request. If you haven't already, please consider giving this podcast a rating and review. Your five-star ratings and short one or two-sentence reviews help to improve my rankings in the podcast algorithms. So please take time to rate and review the show if you've been enjoying the content. Your support in doing so greatly helps me to grow the show's audience and really will help me to be more successful in producing future shows. Thank you for your support. So let's dive into today's discussion. Today I want to discuss the concept of binary investing outcomes and how the coronavirus is impacting your stock portfolio. First, we have to talk about what a typical investing outcome distribution looks like. When you're thinking about making an investment in a company, there's typically a single distribution of probabilities. There's a high likelihood around a single point of return with decreasing probability of super high returns and decreasing probability of super low returns. So what this might look like, for those who are aware of the statistical understanding of normal distributions, you're likely to see a curve that starts out low at the bottom, rises up to a high point, and then slowly slopes down to another bottom. This will center around a single point of return. And what do I mean by that? Let's say the investing probabilities for making an investment in the S&P 500 today is 6%. The average likelihood of returns is 6%. What that means is there might be a 30% chance of receiving a 6% return, but there might also be a 20% chance of receiving a 7% return or a 20% chance of receiving a 5% return. And as you go higher in the returns from 7% to 8%, there might be an 8% chance of receiving an 8% return, a 5% chance of receiving a 10% return, and a 2% chance of receiving greater than a 12% annual return. Likewise, on the other side, as you go down from 6%, so 6% was at a 30% rate of return, 5% might have been a 20% rate of return. Well, as you get to 4%, there might be a 10% chance, 3%, 2%, 5% chance, and maybe a less than 2% chance that your return is below 0% or negative by making a return in the S&P 500. That's a normal distribution. That's where it slopes up with low probabilities of zero or negative returns and high and high probabilities of a reasonable return and low probabilities of very high returns. 
So you're going from low probability to high probability to low probability. It's very evenly distributed with a high concentration around a single point. And that single point is determined by the valuation of the companies in the index or the valuation of a single company if you're looking at a single company. What this distribution is doing is it's really trying to help you understand that some companies are likely to fail and some companies are likely to succeed and the there's going to be a distribution of those probabilities and statistically it's unlikely that you're going to have a super high return on any one of the two bounds you're going to have a evenly distributed amongst many different probabilities and if it's a high probability of a six or percent rate of return, it should still be a reasonably high probability that you have a close to 6% rate of return. So that's kind of the picture of what a typical investing outcome is. You have this single distribution of probabilities, all centered around a single point. In today's investing environment, one of the things that I believe the market is underestimating and that individual investors are underestimating is that there's now a bimodal outcome distribution for many companies that have been directly impacted by the coronavirus shutdown. So what do I mean by directly impacted by the coronavirus shutdown? I mean you have companies that have their individual business operations shut down. Perhaps they're non-essential. Perhaps this is your local hairdresser. Perhaps it's your local dentist. Perhaps it's your local restaurants. They've been shut down as quote-unquote non-essential businesses. Even though they are very impactful as part of the day-to-day community, the government has chosen to shut these businesses down and prevent them from operating. Their expenses haven't stopped. They still owe rent. They still owe utilities. They still owe their employees money unless they choose to lay them off or fire them. And what happens is is these expenses are building up. But in a normal time, they would be receiving revenues to offset and pay for those expenses. But today, they're receiving zero revenues. Most businesses are not structurally functioning with the ability to operate for a long period of time without any revenues. Now, when you plan for a recession as a business owner, a lot of the times you're planning for a reduction in revenues. This might be a 5% drop in revenues, a 10% drop in revenues, or in a severe recession, a 20 or 30% drop in revenues might be what you plan for. You're not planning for your business to be completely shut down, for your expenses to stay constant or even at a reduced level, but your revenues to simply be zero. Business owners would find it incredibly difficult to plan for a negative 100% drop in revenues. That means you might have gone from, in February, earning revenues of a million dollars a month, and in March and April, you now have zero dollars a month. So this is a massive impact for business owners. Because what's happening is you're now having to take on debt in order to pay your expenses, or you're having to draw down your cash portfolio in order to pay for the expenses that you have. You also have the uncertainty of not knowing when your business is going to open up. 
And if you don't know when your business is going to open up and you have large amounts of expenses, the only thing you can do is try and cut your expenses as quickly as possible. For many businesses, this is very difficult. Now, the largest expense for most businesses is their employees, which is why you're seeing massive layoffs in the economy. Businesses are having to lay off their employees because they cannot afford to pay them. Because without any revenues, they don't have any money to pay the employees. Now, this can cut a large percentage of their expenses, perhaps over 50% of their expenses. But it doesn't cut 100% of their expenses. They can't eliminate their rent payments. They can't eliminate their debt payments. What they could do is they can maybe stop paying them. But when you default on your obligations, now you're in a situation where you're beholden to debt holders, whether that's actual debt notes or other liability holders like those that you owe your mortgage to and your rent payments. If you don't pay your interest payments on your debt, the debt holders can wipe out the equity, resulting in bankruptcy or resulting in a zeroing out in the value of the equity to the business owner. The same is true if you're not making your rent payments or other payments that you owe. They can find ways to def- that when you've defaulted on your obligations to cause a massive impairment in the value of the equity of the company. Shareholders in a company do not have full control and full receipt of all revenues of the company. They're only able and entitled to the profits of the company. So when the profits of a company go zero or negative, the value to shareholders is significantly impaired. Now, the problem then becomes is you start to price in two different outcomes. Under one situation, the company has a big problem in the short term. They face a loss of revenues. They have to shut down for March, April, maybe May. But they're able to have enough cash on hand. They're able to borrow money. And they're able to get through the crisis while still paying for all of their liabilities. They don't have to default on their interest payments. They don't have to default on their rent payments. And they're able to survive. Now, they're going to come out the other end worse than they were at the beginning. They're going to have more debt. They're going to have a less secure customer base. They might have permanently impaired revenues due to the lack of people interested in going to their business. Cruise ships are a very good example of this. People might be less likely to go on cruises for a long period into the future, even once they're allowed to do so again. Although other companies like restaurants might still have a demand that will come back up because most people are not going to stop going to restaurants simply because there was a single outbreak of coronavirus. So you have this possibility where maybe they survive, they don't default on their obligations, and they come back into full operating mode. In this case, you have the option where Two or three years from now, you have a business that's still operating and is now able to earn the long-term cash flows of the business. Because as equity holders, as shareholders, you are the owner of the profits for the long term. That means you own the profits this year, you own the profits next year, you own the profits in year three, four, five, six, year 20, year 30, year 50. 
That's what it means to be a shareholder of a business. You get to receive the profits and the distributions from that business until the business closes. So you have the long-term infinite future to receive profits from that business. Now, there's a big caveat to that. That's one scenario. The second scenario is the caveat. You own the profits for the long-term future of the business unless the business goes bankrupt or the business defaults on its obligations in a way that debt holders wipe out the equity of the business, which usually occurs through the bankruptcy process, at least in the United States. There's other ways that this could occur where the equity could be wiped out, um, such as government nationalization of the business or other means or simply the business being destroyed without sufficient um, insurance resources. Think a hurricane or something. So let's talk about that second area of potential. In today's investing environment, there's also a second option for how these businesses could turn out. The business could shut down in March due to the government order to stay at home. Maybe they stay shut down in April, and they're able to And then the order comes out in May that they can start their business up again. The problem was on April 23rd, the business defaulted on its debt. It was unable to make its interest payments. And in order to avoid problems with creditors, they have to declare bankruptcy. So before the government's order is lifted for them to be able to come back into business, say this is your local mom and pop restaurant. They only had five weeks of cash on hand in order to pay their rent, mortgage, rent, utility, and employee costs. They furloughed their employees in week two, but they still ran out of cash by week six. Well, let's say the shutdown lasts eight weeks. Well, that means that the business was not able to survive. Now, you might still see that restaurant operating in the future, But instead of it being owned by equity holders, it's now going to be owned by the debt holders. Bankruptcy is going to wipe out the value of the shares, and the value of the shares are going to go to zero. In this case, it doesn't matter that equity holders can typically think about the business restarting in the future. Just because the restaurant is running 10 years from today does not mean that you still own the restaurant. That restaurant might have been sold to debt holders or liquidated at much lower values at pennies on the dollar because you were unable to make your interest payments. This is a real possibility for many millions of businesses today in the United States and around the world. There's a significant non-zero probability of bankruptcy attached to many businesses that have been forced to close by their local governments. These businesses now have a problem because without being able to earn revenues and with their costs still existing, Even with loans from the government, they may be unable to open at the end of the shutdown, or if they do open, they might have already breached debt covenants in a way that the value of the business for equity holders is now zero or substantially impaired. For instance, it's not that this would always force you to be a zero. Businesses always have the option of issuing equity to new shareholders as a means of meeting their debt obligations. The problem becomes is 
the stock market anticipates these problems and responds accordingly. What happens with the stock market and what you've seen is many of these businesses that have been closed have fallen 50, 80, 90% in stock price. A 90% drop in stock price means the stock could have been trading at $10 per share before this and is now trading below a dollar per share. If that happens, in the short term, you have the stockholders holding a big loss, but it's not permanent unless one of two things happens. Unless the company issues new shares at the low price to dilute existing shareholders, or the company is forced to declare bankruptcy and wipe out the shareholders, then the value of the shares would go to zero. But if they simply dilute shareholders, the value might simply drop from $10 a share down to $1 per share or $1.50 per share. So you might have a realized 90% dilution rate for the shares because the business decides instead of going bankrupt, we want to preserve some value for equity holders. But what's going to happen is we owe debt of, let's say, $100 million, or let's we owe debt of $10 million. Well, if we order issue 10 million new shares at a dollar each, we can pay off the debt that we owed. So now you might have a company that started out the crisis with only a million shares outstanding, and they were each worth $10. So this was a business worth $10 million. Well, now what happens is the value of the shares dropped to a dollar. They have to issue new shares at a dollar in order to pay their debts because they have no revenue. Exiting the crisis, they now have 11 million shares. They can eliminate that debt to survive, but now instead of your shares being worth $10 a share. Well, now there's 11 million shares instead of 1 million shares. And your equity is now only worth 90 cents. This is devastating for equity holders because although your business didn't fail, it did dilute you out of your potential return. You've seen a significant and permanent realization of a negative 90% loss. This was seen during the 2008 financial crisis as many of the large banks either had to be sold, had to go bankrupt, or had to lick, or had to dilute shareholders significantly. AIG is a prime example of a company that had to dilute shareholders to such a degree that even 10 plus years after the crisis, equity holders are still showing a loss. And will continue to for a long time because so many shares were issued at such low prices. So then what do we do about this? How do we think about this? Well, instead of having a single distribution centered around a rate of return of, let's say, 6%, what you've had is you've had companies' stock prices decline significantly. And what the market is trying to do is it's trying its best to price in the probability of both a chance of bankruptcy and a chance of recovery. If the company can recover without diluting shareholders and without entering bankruptcy, the normal expected stock price return is no longer something like 6%, but it's probably something closer to 15 to 20%. So now you might have a 20% chance of return earning a 15% chance of return on your investment if you buy stock today. Maybe there's a 10% chance of return of earning 10% and a 10% chance of return of earning more than 20%. So you have a bump centered around 15%. That's your statistical likelihood of earning your return is going to be 15% or greater. 
if you invest today and the company doesn't go bankrupt or dilute shareholders. But there's now a second distribution centered around zero or negative returns, or somewhere in the negative returns. So now you have a bump that's centered at, let's say, negative 80% returns. So maybe there's a 10% chance of bankruptcy, which is a negative 100% return. And maybe there's a 20% chance of the company having to dilute shareholders at a negative 80% return. And maybe there's a 5% chance of the company only having to dilute shareholders at a negative 50% return. So now you have a bump around negative 80% and you have a bump around positive 15%. This is a reasonable distribution of probabilities now that's not centered in the middle like a 6%. Instead, a 6% rate of return is significantly reduced to maybe a 1% chance. Now, if you buy stock in a company that's lost 80% of its value today or 90% of its value today, the stock price is trying to adjust for these probabilities. And it's saying, if the economy recovers, this is a great buying opportunity because if the company can avoid bankruptcy and avoid issuing stock, you're going to be able to earn 15, 20, 25% returns because you bought at today's low prices. However, there's no longer a near 0% or less than 1% chance of bankruptcy. Now there's a 10% chance of bankruptcy. And there's also a 20% chance that you're going to lose 80% of your money because the company is going to have to dilute shareholders. And the stock is trying to price this in. But it looks really weird because you're going to have some people saying this is the greatest buying opportunity in the last 10 years. Or this is the greatest buying opportunity of a lifetime. And you're going to have other people saying, I would never buy that stock. Both people are right because they're both talking about different parts of the distribution. The problem is, is that sometimes they see both probabilities and say, you know, I just don't want to risk the binary option of this outcome being positive or the outcome being negative. The bulls might not even see the negative option as a possibility. And they might say, look, you can earn 20% annual returns. This is a great bargain. And the bears might not even see the positive possibility. And they say, look, the company can't survive. They will have to dilute shareholders or go bankrupt. That 20% chance of probability isn't actually going to be 20% chance of earning 20% returns. It's actually closer to 0% chance, and they will dilute. You're wrong on that sense. So you have two different groups now that are saying, oh, we think this bucket is right, or we think that bucket is right. Instead, the accurate way to look at this investing environment is to say, There are two potential outcomes here. Now, obviously, there's more than two, but there's two key groups of outcomes. One is very positive. The company avoids default and they avoid bankruptcy. And my returns are going to be astronomically high. The other is the company doesn't avoid bankruptcy. They don't avoid default. And your returns are super negative and likely to be a zero. What you are having to do then as an investor is think, are the companies I'm investing in today exhibiting binary return possibilities? You can't simply look at the positive outcome and say that's your base case. You can't simply say this company is going to recover 
and there's a huge probability that occurs. You have to now price into this discussion that there's a probability that they don't recover and that that probability doesn't mean that you only earn a 4% chance of return instead of your target 6 or 8% chance of return. That probability means you earn a negative 80% or a negative 100% chance of return and your money goes to zero. It is very hard for the market to properly price in binary investment outcomes. The market and the efficient market hypothesis is designed around the idea that you generally have a normal distribution of returns. You have a single investing outcome that simply has different veins in that probability. Or are they going to grow 4% this year or 6%? Are they going to grow 6% or 8%? Those are the type of discussions you typically hear in a normal investing environment. This is not a normal investing environment. The market is trying to price in two different possibilities of return. One of them is going to say that the price was incredibly undervalued. The other is going to say that the price was incredibly overvalued. If you try and look back at this 10 years from now and say, this was an ideal buying opportunity, all you're doing is following the mental model of resulting, as defined by Annie Duke in her book. And what that's saying is you're looking at the result and saying, acting like that outcome was predetermined and the only possibility. What I'm trying to tell you is that there are multiple possibilities when you look at today's investing market, when you look at the companies you're trying to consider investing in. You need to consider the fact that the future is not predetermined in what's going to happen. You don't know the future result. You don't know for sure that your company is going to avoid bankruptcy. You don't know that your company is going to go into bankruptcy. You simply know that both are a possibility. So, It's important for you to remember that it is almost impossible for the market to accurately price a bimodal distribution of potential returns. This gives you two options. One, you can attempt to determine what the probability is of bankruptcy for each company you invest in and decide whether that is a probability of chance you are willing to accept. Or you can only focus on companies that do not currently have a risk of a bimodal distribution of outcomes, and you instead invest in companies that have not been adversely affected by the coronavirus and focus on those companies that aren't shut down, are still essential, and are able to simply face a recessionary outcome of maybe a 10% or 20% decline in revenues and not focus on the companies that are facing zero revenues. I hope this was a helpful podcast for you today. In summary, investors today are likely underestimating the potential for bankruptcy of their favorite companies. Regardless of the long-term return of the underlying assets, bankruptcy is possible when debt covenants are breached or a negative liquidity event occurs. Both are possible outcomes in today's investing environment as most companies are not well situated for handling a long period of zero revenues. Note, this is not zero profits, but zero revenues. A period of zero revenues is going to be a period of substantial losses, and those losses can cause bankruptcy if the company has not properly prepared in advance. So thank you for listening to this podcast. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at diyinvesting.org episode 72. 
Finally, this is a listener-supported podcast. If you have gained value from today's content, please consider supporting the show financially as a patron. You can become a patron at DIYinvesting.org slash P-A-T-R-O-N. Your financial support is what allows me to continue creating this free investing content without any advertisements. If you choose to become a patron of the show, you will receive exclusive insights into my personal investing process through the DIYinvesting.org membership program. Patrons are the ones that receive access to my investing research and the results of the companies that I am making personal investments in today. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.